expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Whether it's your first time listening to us or you've been a long time listener, you're here at episode 159 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. Where Nick, after five post-credit scenes, I'm worried that Baby Groot is going to turn into Moody Teenage Groot. It's pretty much at this point right now where everybody that goes to see a Marvel movie is like starting a residency in the movie theater, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna they're gonna start charging you rent. To stay behind right. and see all these post-credit scenes from Marvel movies, right, man? It's just gonna be—it's gonna be weird. Like you're gonna be sitting there watching Guardians of the Galaxy. Next thing you know, you get out of the uh, theater like like Robin Williams and Jumanji. What year is it? Yeah, exactly. And, and with the Chris Pratt face, that classic Chris right. Pratt, what the hell's going on here face? What year is it? Kind of thing. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, this used to be a cool thing. You get a post-credit scene, then they went to two, and you're like, all right, I guess you do a mid-credit and a post-credit. Now there's five? Isn't this a little much? Here's what it is. When the first credit sequence happened back when Iron Man 1 with the whole Nick Fury, you know, talking about S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything, that was very special because that was a, a letting known to the audience of, hey, we are going to build this giant Marvel Universe, but as the movies have gone on and they've added extra credit sequences, basically it's become a thing where it's like, meh, you know, they don't, they're not based on blowing your mind in them. It's just, really, if you think about it, it's just extended Easter eggs in the end of a credit sequence. And that's all it is, pretty much, you know? I mean, and is it fun? Sure. And is it going to be funny? I'm sure it is. And other early reviews have come back very positive <laughs> for it. But, I mean, at what point, even in making fun of it, this just seems like a lot. It, it just it just seems tiring, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to lie, uh, end credit sequences, not just in Marvel movies, but just in a lot of other movies, like, feel like they're the new Riddler trophies of cinema, basically. Right, right. Like, like, you gotta collect all of them, and you're like, I don't fucking want to, man, but it's like, now I got to, because it's all everybody's gonna be talking about. Yeah. And that's the thing, that's what's, and that's the part of it, too, is, you know, when we, we live in this era of, where nerd culture and geek culture is this huge thing that conquers people's lives, you know, it's the new water cooler talk, you know? I mean, yeah, you still have the sports and the political stuff, but really... A lot of people, some that people, both comic book readers and just your average moviegoer, can bond their, together with is, hey, Chad, did you see the, you know, Doctor Strange? Yeah, I did. What did you think of the end credits sequence? Well, I thought it was this, you know. It's a way to to kind of not feel out of the loop. You know, it, it, it is, in a way, it's kind of like where a, a lot of, really, a lot of the conversations I've had have been built around in terms of the MCU. Of like, oh, well, they had this end credits sequence, so where do you think they're going to go with this? And it's always that kind of like, where can they go next? And I'm just right now just looking at it just like five guys. Like really? Like, yeah. like, like it's just a lot, man. And it's kind of like at a point where it's like, you know, how about that five? You just make one fucking scene at the end, like one giant scene, or maybe just tack on uh, an extra minute or two in the movie, you know, or find what place where you can put these in the movie. Yeah. And it's not like the movies aren't long enough as it is anyway. So I don't get that, but I mean, Hey, 
it doesn't mean we're not looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I just oh, don't no. think that we're not looking forward to sitting in the theater an extra 10, 15 minutes to, and analyzing five different post-credit sequences. That's that's all. Well, well, here's the thing, too. Marvel, if you want to do five of them, why not release them like shorts, like online digital shorts, like Deadpool? Like, why can't you do that? Like, that's what was great about the Deadpool marketing was you had these little shorts that were – we're not really tied to the movie at all. There are separate things. And I understand that, you know, with the end credit sequences are all tied to the MCU, but why not like wait, you know, you have like one or two end credit sequences in the movie itself, but then be like, well, wait, you know, a couple weeks later, we're going to have three more credit sequences coming out online, you know, or whatever. Social media, your exactly. website, all, it's all about marketing. Stuff. Yes. And you could keep it going. And you know what? That might help drive, the numbers up, people wanting to go back and see the movie a second or third time because they saw that and they're like, oh, well, see, now I want to go see it again. And that could make it number one even longer. Not that it's not going to be, but I mean, you're right. Smart marketing. And I wish that they could do more of that. But I'm James with them alongside the Merkel Farm, Nick Battaglia. You know, I was wondering when we were going to get to introductions. Cause I'm like, speaking of marketing, we kind of need to market ourselves. I don't think we've bit. done that like the last two weeks, by the way. I think we <laughs> well, just kind of assume people know who we are and go on. I mean, 150 plus episodes, 159 episodes. You kind of know who we are. I, I would think, I mean, even if, even in the, the written descriptions of every episode, it has our names in there. So yeah, you should know who it is. Yeah. But just in case this is your first time, that's who we are. Oh, <laughs> uh, I remember my first time. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was March 7th, 2000 and like 13 or 14, 14 or whatever. 14, yep. March 2014, 7th, 2014. When I was putting together the shittiest of all intros ever. <laughs> <laughs> that was our first episode, which is still available, by the way. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But you know what? Just like Seinfeld... We went from that episode to go on to do great things. So, <laughs> that I mean, is true. Why not? And speaking of great things, James, you have two great comics coming your way. What we're reading is coming up next. This is Scott Lobdell, and if I wasn't a guest, I wouldn't even be listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, we pull out our long boxes and we discuss what we're reading this week. And James, you know, Mask is something that has been a series and it was close to your heart as a kid. I know for me, it's something I'm just getting into because of the new comics. Of course, we had Brandon Easton on a while back to talk about the comics. And I said, you know what? Issue 5 is out this week, so I'm going to talk about it. So Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command number 5 is my comic this week. And it's written, of course, by Brandon Easton. Art's done by Tony Vargas. Jordi Esquin does the colors. And letters are done by Gilberto Lazcano. And I'll say this. Issue 5, now this has been a great series from start to this issue, because this is, the, of course, the latest issue out. You want a comic that has a huge action sequence, is nothing but a giant chase sequence, pretty much, and just action, action, action. This is that book, because it's great, because, of course, you have Miles Mayhem, who is pretty much captured at the end of issue 4. He's Bringing ready to be handcuffed and, and get captured by by the ma- by mask, and next thing you know, he gets in his copter and he's gone. And it's just a giant war on the streets between Venom and Mask. And really, this is a really cool and awesome issue because when it comes to Tracker, of course, Matt Tracker, the head of this team, you get to see that 
that leadership side of him, and you also get to see that technical side of him as well, especially when it comes to his suit. There's some things that he does with his mask and its abilities and his suit that are just amazing in this. Remember, Matt Tracker is a pretty smart dude. He just needed to learn how to be a leader, and that's where kind of the beginning issues and even into Revolution, that's when that started. But now that that's kind of become a little bit easier for him, he can start focusing on that stuff. And you want to talk about action? How appropriate is it that they come out with this issue the same right around the same time as the Fate of the Furious kind of have a nice little right. nonstop action thing? So, man, hey, if you like Fate of the Furious, maybe you'd like this. What do you think about that? And that's a great angle, James. But if you're a fan of Fast and the Furious, the entire franchise, especially if you're somebody who loves the later films, which by now we can just say it, they're basically, they're basically goddamn superheroes at this point. I mean, anytime The Rock can take a giant missile and just without any effort whatsoever just fling it direct, in a different direction yeah. to attack a group of people, yeah, you're basically superheroes at that point. And this is cool because there's things that are flying in the air and – Bikes are going in the air and just – it's just awesome. You know, cars turn into submarines and the art is just phenomenal because it's so detailed. It's so colorful. Even the lettering, the way the letters are colored and the way they're worded and, and, and pieced together are amazing. And that's what's great is that, you know, you look at, at Tracker. There's a page where you get like Tracker flipping over a car basically and the detail of his suit is so amazing. Then you look at Miles Mayhem in the background of this certain page, and you see the detail in his, uh, you know, his shoulder pads there and in his mask. So it's amazing the type of deep detail that people can get. And that's the thing, too, is looking at this art, something I've had a problem with in the past couple of books I've read, not, that, not mask ones, but just comics in general, when it comes to shots that are, like, Facial shots, but they're like medium to lo- to long in terms of depth. They're like two dots and like a smile, and that's it. You know what I'm saying? They're very lackluster. Whereas this, this shows that there should be no reason why people can't give detail into people's faces and stuff like that. That make the faces look like they're melting. Uh, in terms of when there's long shots of distance between characters. You are absolutely right. And the fact that this this series doesn't just push that fact to the side tells you why this series is so good and has been so successful so far because it's that attention to detail, not that just Brandon has brought to the writing in the first four issues. I haven't read this one yet because I don't, you know, I don't want to step all over your review. But the detail from top to bottom in this book is one of the reasons I've loved it so much. And that's the thing, too, is I love this book because of all the details both Brandon, Tony, and Jordy and, and Gilberto put into this book. They put a lot of time and effort, and, and they really nailed every issue. Every issue you feel about the you feel for the characters, you, you, you really, really hate Miles Mayhem, but at certain times, you can kind of see where Miles Mayhem is coming from, not mm-hmm. saying he's, I mean, he's still a piece of shit, but... There's certain pieces of dialogue where he's like, okay, uh, I can see your angle a little bit and what you want to do. Granted, it's an evil reason, but still it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's very narcissistic like he is, you can see why he is the way he is and stuff. And, and just like I said, this, this whole series, especially this whole book, really builds on the team dynamic and not just the dynamic of just Matt Tracker and the, team, it's, and the other teammates, but, you know, Brad Turner has a great – parts and here Gloria Baker uh, as a character really shines in this with some of the stuff that she does and at the end of this issue 
Oh, man. This is, do I want issue six right now? Because let's just say, without spoiling anything, the mask team, there's an infiltrator and a fraud within the mask team. Ooh. Oh, that's a big that's a big one hanging out there now. Yeah. and then, That's a big one. Oh, yeah, man. And so I cannot wait to... Read issue six. Again, mask number five is a definite pull for me. This whole series has been amazing from IDW Publishing. Go get it now. Dude, what did you read this week? I actually decided to do something that's a Comicsology exclusive, actually, from Boom Studios. And if you're a fan of the show Expanse, the Expanse Origins, this one actually deals with Naomi Nagata because it's issue two. They did, they did the one more on issue one, but this is the second issue, which, of course, the Expanse, based on the novels of James S.A. Corey. The story is by him, Hallie Lambert, and Georgia Lee. Written by Georgia Lee, the specific issue. Illustrated by Huang Den Lan. Colored by Tior Triona Farrell. And lettered by Jim Campbell. Now, again, this is a single origin issue from Naomi for Naomi Nagata. Now I want to get this out of the way. If you haven't re- if you haven't seen the pilot episode of The Expanse, there is going to be a little bit of a spoiler here because I want to get into exactly what it is that The Expanse is for anybody that's never watched the show. Basically, it's uh, and it tells you right in the first right in the credits page by the way. So I'll just read that word for the story of The Expanse unfolds across a colonized solar system 200 years in the future. And basically, this takes place, there, there's, there's three separate, you have Earth, you have Mars, and then you have what they call the Belters, which is the asteroid belt, and that's like the mining area, that's where all the grunt work is kind of done in this universe, and that's where the crew of what was the Canterbury comes in, and of course, of course, the Rossi after that, so these stories take place, these origin stories take place before the Canterbury gets blown up. So I will put that out there right now. One thing I actually loved about this, especially if you're a fan of the show, it gives you background in the mindset of these characters as they're first kind of coming aboard the Canterbury and, and the way things are kind of starting out, which is eight years previous to where the pilot kind of picks up. But here's the deal. They give you where the characters are mentally, but they don't give you too much. They actually keep it a little bit vague, and they actually did that in the first issue as well, so I mean, you see Naomi, and you know that she's struggling with something, and they give you just little bits and pieces of it, but they don't actually give the entire thing away, even though this is kind of a one-shot, so I thought that was a pretty smart deal. I like that. I like that whenever you have a comic book, or comic series, I should say, that deals with a television series that's still going on in the air, or something that maybe just came off the air, you know, uh, that they don't give too much away and that they make you want to, after you're done reading the book, go and watch the show. And this could add intrigue to that in watching the show or vice versa or whatever. So as a writer, it's important to know when to draw that line, when you're giving too much away, and also kind of when you're bleeding too much into the television episodes themselves. Right, and one thing, if you're a fan of the show, I know the season two finale just happened. If you're a fan of the show, 
this actually goes into Amos's origin story as well and how he and Naomi, you know, first came to know each other and how their interactions were and how the beginning of how they became friends and confidants and stuff like that. So it's really, really neat to actually get that story in there as well. And something that almost happened that didn't happen. Of course, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't read this. And there is, there's not a lot of action in the beginning pages of this book, but there is a nice tense situation towards the end that goes a long way to, to building up their relationship but I gotta say, if you're a fan of the show, this is definitely something you'll dig. It's not gonna give you absolutely everything on the backstory of the character, but if, especially if you're a fan of these certain characters, and I know that Naomi is a big, big deal, I don't wanna spoil anything going forward in the show, but she goes from being the chief engineer on the show to much, much more things. So, this doesn't quite get into that, but you know where she's going if you're a fan of the show. The art, not gonna blow your doors off, but it's very, very good. The close-up art is very good. The, um, when you do get into that tense kind of action sequence, the the art is really good because you're dealing with space and stuff like that. So there's there's definitely extra care that was brought to that page. It's actually if you've read if you've read Eclipse from Image and Top Cow, it's very very similar to Eclipse as far as the art is concerned. So if that's that's the best thing that I could use to describe it. But man, I, I mean, as somebody who kind of came in late. To the show, Expanse, it's a good show, uh, and definitely something that if you're just becoming a fan of the show like I am, these comics, very good for you. If you're already already a fan of the show, you love the characters anyway, so this is just a little bit of extra added incentive to learn more about them. So that's why this is a pull for me. And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Coming up next, teaser trailer came out for The Last Jedi. We're going to talk about that. Coming up next in Geektainment. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So, I don't know if you guys heard or anything, but there was some sort of big celebration last weekend in Orlando, and there were a lot of sits and Jedis around, and something happened. Nick, can you remind me what exactly happened there? This is Gold Leader, and we had a Star Wars celebration in Orlando, Florida over the weekend. Copy, Gold Leader. Let's get into that right now. <laughs> you don't know how bad I've been wanting to say that on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and it's finally happened. Yes. But no, so the teaser trailer came out, and there wasn't a whole lot of information. We got a look at pretty much a lot of the shots in the trailer. You can go back and watch the Force Awakens trailer. Like, yeah, you know, the, the scene where the X-Wings, you know, in Force Awakens – Going over the water there is kind of the same thing with these new ships in The Last Jedi. And so I'm looking at, at this trailer. Again, there's not a whole lot, but there is a little bit of dialogue in there, James, that you that really is catching a lot of people's attention, and it has to do with Luke Skywalker. Well, I mean, when you finally get to see the very, very short interactions between Rey and Luke, one of the things that stuck out the most, and I think the thing that stuck out the most in this trailer for me anyway was... When he said, and I'll paraphrase this so nobody says, that's not exactly what he said. He said, it's time for the Jedi to end. And that's when, in a trailer that really didn't give us much, that's when my ears went up and I went, whoa, okay, so where are they going with that? And what exactly did he mean? And I think it was kind of meant to be ambiguous because people are still wondering, you know, is Luke going to go evil? Is he going to follow the ways of his father and go to the dark side? Or is everything just too much for him after what happened with Kylo Ren and everything? So what's your take on it? 
the way I see it is I don't think I hope they don't make him evil because I think that's just really I think it's cheap. That's and that's I think that's doing also the legendary character of Luke Skywalker wrong. Mm-hmm. Even I know his dad was Darth Vader, but really. Luke didn't really have a reason to go evil in the first place. He really doesn't have a reason to turn evil in the first place. So I think when he says maybe you know it's time for the Jedi's to end, I don't think that it's him saying they should all die and everything. I think it comes from a place where he sees what happens with Kylo Ren, and remember, apparently he used to be you know a teacher and stuff like that too. So maybe it was kind of like he's feeling a lot of guilt. And so maybe he's like, well, you know, if I if I can't as a if I'm the strongest Jedi and I can't protect you know whomever from turning evil to the dark side or whatever, then what's the point of the Jedi's belonging in the first place? But another reason I see this too is I I think it's more of his version of the Jedi's ending. Not I'm talking more of like the people who don't you know get married, don't have kids really, the the people who are you know so ethically good, like they're they're just like disgusting. Like they're like Ned Flanders, you know, annoying to a sense. And you know, and and I think that this is what he's what he's doing and I think some people have been hinting at this is that Rey is going to be the great Jedi, which is basically you wonder what the great Jedi is, the great Jedi is basically the, the the one type of Jedi that literally keeps the Force in balance between both the good and the lights and the dark side. Right, and the thing about the Grey Jedi, too, at least in some incarnations anyways, they've kind of walked the line a little bit from the light side and the dark side, so if they decide to do that, that would be really interesting. And but maybe, here's the thing, with Rey being good, 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 good throughout the true. whole thing so far, what could possibly push her to possibly even leaning towards the dark side at all. Could it be we're going to find out more about her parents? Could that have something to do with it? Well, here's the thing, too, is, you know, I know I just said a little while ago, Luke doesn't really have any reason to go to the dark side. He just has this carrying of guilt. So maybe he's the great Jedi, and he says, you know what, you know, and kind of goes towards that realm. I don't think he's going to go full dark, but I think... You know, if anything, I think that could be him. So I think I think one of the, those two characters are going to go become the great Jedi. I think, and I think that that's. And I think in terms of that, maybe who knows? Maybe it's the fact of maybe Luke says that because in order for the, you know the first the first order and stuff like that to end for the Sith to truly end, we need to go away from that you know original Yoda Jedi teachings and go more towards the center where we're kind of the anti heroes in a sense. Well, remember Yoda said to Luke, the last of the Jedi you will be. Right. So, yeah, that could be the transition that you're talking about, and kind of the old ways are gone, and then Luke probably being the most powerful Jedi ever. Oh, I think I think at this point in the timeline, he surpassed Yoda. He yeah. is literally the most powerful Jedi. I think part of the reason why he goes to the island in The Force Awakens, and why he's you know lost for most of that movie is because of the fact that I think it's between the guilt and everything that happened with Kylo Ren and stuff like that. And also, I think maybe he became too powerful and so powerful yep. that he's like, I, I will destroy planets if I'm anywhere near a cantina, you know? like. <laughs> and remember, he also says to Ray, there's so much more. And I'm like, right. okay. So he's found some stuff out. So if anybody could change the Order of the Jedi, it would be Luke. So I think out of... Everything we got in this trailer, and it was just a quick, like, little five seconds. That is the most I think we got out of this thing. By the way, going to those ships that spray the red mist, I, I literally want to 
make like a color me rad race commercial and like put techno music or like dubstep behind that scene. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Because it would fit perfectly. (laughs) Just think how much more interesting pod races would have been if they had the little red smoke coming out of it. So I want to ask you this. One of the points I've seen people make, I'm not too sure on this, uh, is the fact that Finn being in that, that looks like a cryo tube because of his injuries from The Force Awakens is... This movie's version, this trilogy's version of Han Solo being frozen in carbonite. So what's your take on this? Because one of my, as we all know, one of my biggest uh, dislikes of Force Awakens was how much in common it had with New Hope. Well, I think that this is this is definitely different because this is out of circumstance rather than, I mean, out of necessity rather than circumstance. Whereas Han Solo is put in carbonite for a reason by Boba Fett and Jabba the Hutt to transport him to to Jabba's chamber, whereas this was due to injury, and we don't know that he wouldn't die if he wasn't in this, although this is why I love nerds. Somebody on Twitter actually translated the language on the pod, and one of the words they picked up on from that pod was that it said stable. So at least we know that Finn's okay, he's stable, but is he only stable because he needs to be in there, and why does he still need to be in there? Are they transporting him to another place for a reason? Are they just making it so he's safe until they get to wherever they're going? So the reason he's still in there, I think, is the biggest question mark in this whole thing, but I do think it is a little bit different just based on how the the execution and the reason for it is so, so different that I don't think we can draw that parallel yet. And speaking of parallels, James, you notice when you go back and watch the first trailer for The Force Awakens and you watch this trailer for The Last Jedi, both open up with a main character gasping for breath, basically. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, is everybody uh, in the Star Wars universe an asthmatic now or something? I, I think I think that every first trailer should come with an inhaler at this point. You know, Pretty much. <laughs> sponsored by Advair or something like that. I don't know. But. Oh, oh, maybe some meta if you went to go see Star Wars and somebody dresses Darth Vader giving you inhalers. That would be awesome. Oh, my God. That'd be hilarious. Although that's probably the only thing they have not stuck a Star Wars character on that I know of. I mean, you could basically get a Star Wars character on absolutely anything now. And, mm-hmm. and to the fact that they don't have some sort of Star Wars inhaler yet, it's actually a little bit disappointing. Here's my hope. I've been getting a lot of shit for this online because, first of all, I thought that the trailer itself was kind of mad. I don't know why a lot of people are losing their shit over it. And for, I just want to go on a little rant if I can, dude. What the fuck is this new rule in nerd culture where I had to love every show, every trailer, every video game every, that's put out? Like everything, I had to, like everything that's put out, I had to fucking love. I have to be goo goo gaga. I have to blow my load for everything that comes out in nerd culture. You do realize that blindly loving something pretty much shows studios and publishers and stuff like that that your standards are very low. So it's being, you know, creative and kind of like, well, I, I hope it's this or I hope it's that or this is my problem with the with Star Wars and where it's going and stuff like that. It's okay to be critical because hopefully writers and directors and studios see that or whomever sees it and gets better and we get better shit from it. Not so, being critical is how you end up with Transformers Age of Extinction. Yeah. Oh, God. Just saying. No, that's no, that's how you end up with the Fantastic Four reboot. Yeah. But I, overall, man, I mean, I'm not losing my mind over this. I will say this about The Last Jedi. I hope it's one of those movies where it follows what Rogue One did, where it told an original and unique story, even though it's based within that same Star Wars universe. 
I wanted to be original. I wanted to tell a great story. I don't want to have any ties to Empire. And if it can do that, then I will feel 100% better about the Star Wars universe's new trilogy going forward. You just, you're just just looking for a new hope. God damn you. <laughs> yeah. You set me up. I couldn't, I couldn't not say it. I'm a fuck. You've done this to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And, and you are, you are that cancer that's slowly eating away at me. <laughs> I'll remember that someday. Yes. Yeah, so that's going to do it for our talk about Star Wars Last Jedi. But come up next, nerd news. You have some important stories to get to. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy is coming up next. Hey, this is Hale Appleman from The Magicians, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time we go around the internet and we see what's trending. It's time for... Nerd News! And our big breaking news that we had that we forgot to talk about last week, but hey, (laughs) people are still... (laughs) People are still talking about it this week. Of course, is Josh Brolin playing Cable. Now, the initial reaction to this, from me anyway, and we'll get your initial reaction, of course, being the big Deadpool fan, my first reaction was, what? Because I'm like, uh, isn't he going to be kind of busy? And and that, that name wasn't even on the radar. I mean, Michael Shannon was there, you had Brad, even Brad Pitt and a whole bunch of other names, and then we land on Josh Brolin. What was your initial reaction? I was kind of shocked because, again, Brolin really wasn't, Again, on really people's radars, you had other actors that people say, well, what about this person and this person? He never, again, I think it was because he was already playing Thanos, so you're like, well, he's already doing a Marvel movie. I'm not sure Marvel why I'm doing anything with Fox. And then, of course, you have Kevin Feige coming out and saying, we don't have anything written into our contracts about other roles that people can do. Indiana Jones and Han Solo are the same person, and it hasn't been a problem. And I think Thanos and Cable are two very different characters, which they, of course, yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, they're very much different characters. And this story was broken by, like, multiple sources. So the original source, who knows at this point. But, I mean, it's interesting because he's already kind of started to dive in. I mean, if you follow him on Instagram, you saw that he was getting some prep work done. You know, they're making yep. the, the mold of his face and getting everything scanned in to kind of help the transformative process. And I got to tell you, man, this is going to be really, really interesting because I mean, it's not like I don't think he could pull it off. Cause I absolutely think that he can, but Josh Brolin has in the last what year embroiled himself in some pretty big universes. Now, granted they're both Marvel, but you're talking 20th century Fox versus the MCU kind of thing. And you want to talk about a guy that's Basically not going to be able to do anything else in his professional life now that he's landed these two roles. Because it's not like Cable's going to be a one-and-done, and we certainly hope Thanos isn't a one-and-done either. So, I mean, you're talking, a, what, at least, would you say, like a five-year commitment at minimum? I would say that at minimum. But again, if you're if you're Broin, you're set for life. You know oh, totally, you, yeah. You know, you know, having one superhero uh, franchise is, is big enough, but two... Because remember, this is going to more likely spin off the whole X-Force universe and everything like that. So he's going to be busy and doing a lot of time traveling uh, coming up. But, I mean, I think it's a really good hire. When he has to do a serious role, which Cable will more than likely be, he can do that. And he does a really, really great job of those. So I think that, you know, you look at, like, American Gangster, where he was phenomenal in American Gangster. And you want him to bring that kind of that, that... 
you know, no nonsense guy, that opposite to, of course, Wade Wilson. I think Josh Brolin fits. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen him absolutely do that in the past. So it's not like he can't do this. He absolutely can. And if you want to look for somebody that would counterbalance, like you said, the Deadpool role, I think he will do that as Cable for sure. And, and, and looking at some of these other names, I'm not sure that they would have been as good at that. So it's going to be very interesting to see once he actually dives into this, what it's going to be like. And think about it. I mean, could, could it be one of those deals like like The Rock with Black Adam where maybe what we don't know is they've already told him, hey, we'll give you a solo movie at some point if this is successful as we think it is and we could get an actual like cable movie? I don't think we'll get an actual cable movie because cable mostly works when he's with X-Force and he's with a group because he's the leader. So I don't really see him you know, being by himself in a real solo movie. But can you just imagine Michael Shannon's driving around like Los Angeles where they're going to start filming Deadpool 2 and he's like looking for the set and he's just going, I will find it! Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this this house was supposed to be mine! <laughs> <laughs> just starts throwing shit and just going nuts. <laughs> Might want to put the neck brace on now, though. You know, just... <laughs> As a precaution, just, you know, foreshadowing, possibly. Right, but our second story, James, staying within the Marvel Universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though, of course, I know Deadpool is not part of the MCU, but still technically a Marvel movie, Captain Marvel... I almost said Miss Marvel. Then if I said that, then people would have been like, God damn it, get it right. Hey, you're, you're just trying to get us trending for whatever reason, and that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> These names are so confusing. <laughs> it's like you have you have Captain Marvel with Marvel, and you got Captain Marvel with, with DC, but his name's Shazam. What the fuck? And then we've got, we're going to have Cousin Marvel at some point. I mean, it's just... Well, where does the lineage stop? I feel like I need to go on that who-do-you-think-you-are genealogy show to figure all this out. (laughs) But anyways, Captain Marvel, of course, who has Brie Larson playing Carol Danvers, it has two directors now, and of course, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Now, I want to ask you this. This is something I've been noticing with Marvel and the directors they've chosen. Now, they've had their Jon Favreau's and their James Gunn's and stuff like that, and or Joss Whedon's, but do you think that now that we're getting into this era of Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel, that we know one of the things we say we love about the whole M- MCU in terms of the, the hiring process is that they bring on people who aren't that well-known, they give them a shot. Do you think that now they're doing that? Do you view that now as something like they, they're, they're picking these people who aren't these big-name directors now because Marvel might be able to have more control over the final product? Yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the things that they'd really, really like to do. Of course, this was first reported by Variety, their their attachment to the project. Um, I think that that's what they're trying to do. I think also part of it is a maybe a little bit of a, a thing where Marvel's going, hey, we know that once you see our logo on the screen, this movie's going to make a ton of money and it's going to get a ton of eyeballs on it. Maybe they see potential in certain directors like Bowden and Fleck and they're saying, well, let's try and give them that launching pad to be able to do great things because we think that they'll do a great job right here in this with us. But then you've also got to think about, too, I mean, they lost Joss Whedon, essentially, not too long ago. So what they needed was the next person to step up and, and kind of carry the torch for the next future line of movies. Now, you need to find that successor because the the ones that have been involved in the projects in the early going that were so successful 
Some of them either aren't around anymore or won't be around for that much longer. You know, contracts run out. People want to go on and do some different things and try some different stuff, much like Joss Whedon's doing. So you got to find that next big thing. And, and I think that this is kind of a leap of faith on their part that these two might be part of that. Or what they're doing, too, is I mean, you look at what Marvel's doing with the Russo brothers. They were in charge of directing you know, Captain America Civil War, and then they directed, of course, prior to that, uh, Winter Soldier, and now they're doing Infinity War. So it's kind of like what they're doing is they're shuffling their directors around and moving them on different projects outside of the sole franchise that they started with. And, you know, if, if, of course, if you're Bowden and Flack, you're excited because this is a Marvel movie. Again, you know it's going to make a lot of money. You know it's going to be a success financially. Again, we haven't they haven't I don't they haven't started filming it, so we don't know what it's going to be like on the screen. It could be bad, but hopefully it's great. But I mean, when you look at this, it's like, yeah, you're excited, but then part of you and I'm just doing this as somebody who is a, you know, used to direct short films and just be from a director's and a film school standpoint, part of it's kind of like, okay, did they pick us because if we disagree on a certain creative difference, if they were to say, you know, do what what uh, Jeff Johns did with Wonder Woman and, and put Paige Jenkins in there or place the director there, where it won't be such a big of a deal. You know what I'm saying? Where yeah. people, where people, yeah. where if this was like, you know, them getting rid of Joss Whedon, people would flip the fuck out. Twitter would be like, you know, hashtag rehire Joss or whatever. The thing is, is like, and I mean, I haven't seen any of these two people's work. But, again, I, I want Captain Marvel to succeed. It's just that coming at it from people, when you have these these people who are, aren't that well-known and have done some projects, you have to, in the back of your mind, as a director and as a creator, even as a writer and whatnot, say, okay, if, there, if we come to any disagreements, we don't have any weight behind our names to really toss at Marvel. Like, okay, you, want, you don't want to go this way? Well, we walk. And then Marvel will be like, okay, we'll go that way. So, I mean... Who knows? Hopefully this will be something that will launch their careers to the point where they can have that clout. But I'm just – again, I'm coming from a, 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 a filmmaker's yeah, perspective. Yeah, I mean you got you got to play devil's advocate too. I mean because this – and I've been saying this for a long time. Captain Marvel is a big deal and I, I understand why they waited as long as they did to introduce her and to give her her own solo movie. But at the same time, Captain Marvel is one of those big names – that could be that next step because you know Chris Evans is going to be gone at some point. I mean that's pretty much a done deal. So 2019 Captain Marvel could be that next step as to someone that could lead the MCU movies into the future. She's that big of a deal. So for them to attach two directors that are, yeah, virtually unknown, so let's just call them what they are, to a project like this, they, they've they got to see something. Or, you're right, they're, they're, they're looking at it like, well, you know, if we drop them and have to get somebody else, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's not going to be another Ant-Man type fiasco. So I can totally understand where you're coming from on that. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one final point that I want to make is you look at, at who they have directing this, but here's the thing with Marvel movies, we've talked about this with a lot of things that we've reviewed in the MCU, is that the Marvel formula is there, and it's the same formula, and people are starting to realize that now. So it's kind of like, really, filmmaking is never easy, but the way that Marvel's been doing their movies, it's, very, it's becoming very paint-by-numbers. So it's kind of like... Hopefully, now that we get into these characters of Captain Marvel and, and these, you know, other characters that are more, I don't like to say Captain Marvel's deep cut, but I mean, you know where I'm going with this. Well, deep the, cut as far as the general public. 
Yeah. That's that's fair. I mean, for anybody that gets mad at you for saying that, we're talking about the general public. We're not talking about Marvel Comics fans for, for years. We're not talking about the, the, the fandom. We're talking about the general public that we've said this many times on the show, whether you like it or not, has to like these movies for them to keep being made. So I think that that's very fair for you to say. Well, and here's the thing, too, is I hope – my hope is that with, with characters like – this is what I want from a Captain Marvel movie. You know, who's, direct, who's directing it or whatever, writing it or whatever. I want a movie that breaks that Marvel Cinematic Universe mold, that predictable, like, okay, this happens and this is going to happen and we have this scene and that scene, whatever, and so on and so forth. My hope is that these directors – do a total 180 and do something totally original. I want a totally original story with this, especially because now we're getting into you know the Stephen Stranges and the, the Captain Marvels and stuff like that and the origins of these characters and these lesser-known characters and stuff like that. I, th- I think that, you know... If I'm Marvel, I'm like, yeah, let's do some more, you know, original stuff, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I, that's what I hope to see with these. I want to see more risk being taken with these films. Especially after Guardians was that for, you know, it was kind of that break. I mean, even though it was a, a lot of humor, which we've seen a lot in the MCU, um, I feel like Guardians was the step towards that. I'm looking at Black Panther and saying, this could be the movie that does that. I'm really, really, really hoping that they take a lot of risks with the Black Panther movie, and that's that movie that you kind of look at in the MCU and go, "Huh, that was really different and cool. I dig that." And then maybe Captain, maybe that allows them to be able to do the same with Captain Marvel and so on and so forth, because there's going to be a little bit of a time gap there. But I agree with you. I'd like to see something a little bit different to kind of kickstart things. And of course, Black Panther. Speaking of that, it did wrap production this week. So hey, it's going to post production. We'll see what happens with that, but. We got a couple of trailers we're going to dive into. We're going to stay in the Marvel Universe for now. And we talked about it a while back about, hey, they're putting this show on Freeform. I've said for a while that if there was a show that was being made, I would love to see a show like this. And it was Cloak and Dagger. And Cloak and Dagger, of course, coming to Freeform. We got our first look at the trailer, James, for Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, and it looks really, really interesting, definitely in the young adult realm, which I think is something that that Marvel on their TV side really hasn't gotten into I well cloak and dagger was what in the comics was was more of a, a, a young adult kind of scenario yeah, as well exactly and putting it on freeform which they've got you know shows like pretty little liars and stuff like that that very much lend itself to to that audience so i mean we got a nice look at what seems like it's going to be and marvel tv's kind of done this definitely a very much more darker deeper emotional story when you're talking about tandy bowden and tyrone johnson well, I mean, here's the thing: is, is how dark are they going to go with this? I, mean, I don't think they're going to go like Netflix dark, but well, it's, it is freeform, so I'm I thinking mean, no. <laughs> well, I, I think what we're going to see in terms of dark is we're going to see kind of like that OC ish kind of a feel to it, maybe a little bit of a Riverdale feel in terms of, of, of tone. But I mean, I'm excited for this because again, I, I mean, you see the you kind of get an introduction into how not necessarily how their powers come to be but just so you get that sense of that they build on that bond that love story between cloak and dagger that partnership between them and you know i think that it's gonna be pretty interesting to see what they do with this because this has been a series where now again not a lot of people i think know about cloak and dagger or if, or if they do know about oh, it yeah. they know they know only like the surface part of it but i mean i think it's pretty interesting i think this is going to be one of those shows i will say this if you're expecting kind of a, a superhero show like an action 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 show i don't think that's what you're going to get because you're going to get a more of a, a a drama per se i think you're going to get kind of oh like, yeah 
maybe a, like like to use it again, like a Riverdale possibility, where it's more on a team drama and kind of like problem of the week kind of a thing. So not in terms of a bad person, but or, or somebody who's evil, but just more like fi- figuring stuff out. Right. And, and so I, I will say this: I, I'm intrigued by it. Of course, you know, being in, in my you know late twenties, YA doesn't really you know f- flash. Oh, I gotta re- watch this to me or read this to me. You know. Well, I'm in my but, late thirties, so where do you think I'm at? <laughs> you're bordering on that creepy line right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I will say is I'm intrigued by this show. I am intrigued. Yeah, and I think that you you hit the nail right on the head. This is very much going to be the show about the deep emotional relationship between Tandy and Tyrone, and not to mention how their lives separately are screwed up for different reasons, and how they come together with each other and how they kind of are that balancing for themselves in that situation. So I think we'll get a lot, a lot, a lot of that. So, I mean, this isn't one of those things, like you said, where you're going to be looking for, you know, the big bad in the series and a whole bunch of powers here and there. We know we saw flashes of that um, in the trailer. So we do know that that is going to be a part of it, but it's, it's, you're right. It's the, it's the family dynamic. It's the emotional bond between them. It's the dynamic with their friends and, and classmates and stuff like that. And people that are around the, the, the city and the town that they're in, it's going to be very, very much like that. So if you're looking for something action packed and something that's going to just draw you from that, then uh, this probably isn't it, but I, I'm intrigued too, man. I'm, I'm very interested to see how they can do this young adult type series for maybe the first time. I mean, I think runaways is coming out first on Hulu, but for the first time to do something like this, I think will be very interesting to see how Marvel does it. Yeah, did you catch the uh, Easter egg that the rocks inside? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing too: is people are wondering, you know, is this going to be with the MCU? Is it not? I believe Marvel has said like everything that they do is within the MCU. It's just not tied together. It's kind of like, you know, like when the Avengers and stuff like that are going on, but then you have a Netflix series going on in the same universe as well. So I think that's what you're, you're looking at pretty it's, much. It's you know? like distantly aware. I think yeah. more of anything else because I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, if this thing just takes off like a rocket ship and it's like one of those shows that propels Freeform into CW type status, then yeah, maybe they'll start thinking about bringing them into the MCU or something. But I mean, if it's just one of those things that's, that's enjoyable that people like, but it's not a stratosphere type thing, then I think they, they'd keep it on the fringe. But they leave that door open because they're smart. And our final story, James, of course, our final trailer, I should say, deals with Superman, but not the Man of Steel knows. deals with his grandfather. We got the first trailer for Sci-Fi's Krypton. Yeah, and man, this is one of those shows where I think that when it was first announced, we were excited. And then it was one of those, please be good, please be good, please be good kind of things. And (laughs) as much as you can tell from a trailer, I mean, it looked like it was going to be pretty awesome, didn't it? I'm not going to lie. It was sci-fi's got a goddamn budget now, man. I mean, you see what Krypton looks like. The first, the first thing that popped out to me was, oh my God, this is visually stunning. And, and here's the thing too, is Krypton. And and here's why I like that the show is going to be based uh, on Krypton is in, a lot of Superman movies, if not all Superman movies, we get about, you know, what, 10, 15 minutes of Krypton in a, in a movie right. at the beginning. Right. We never really get to see how it came to be. And, of course, you know, a show we love in Gotham where we got to see the beginning of a lot of things. But we also got to see Gotham was really screwed from the beginning. It was, it was the, the, you know, the, the rotting roots of that city really goes back 
way, way before a time oh, of Jim yeah. Gore and stuff like that. So will Krypton be that that show like Gotham is where you see the, the destabilization of the planet and just how this whole planet was just screwed to begin with. And, the, and maybe there's corruption right. there and whatever, but... You know, maybe we'll get to see that. And a lot of people I know are saying, well, I don't care about Superman's grandfather. Well, here's the thing. You see Superman on TV or even the movies, what's the one thing? Is I'm not going to lie, I'm sorry to say this, but Superman is one of those boring characters uh, that, that has had a, a television show or, or, or I'll say more of a movie because there's not much you can really do with him. And when you, But when you take a show like Krypton and you say we're going to put all these people who are I believe to be similar to each other in terms of DNA and stuff like that, um, and possible abilities on the you know on, the, on in one spot, and it's like everybody for the most part is even outside of where your name is. Yep. You know, this looks at the, as the as the house of L and, and Superman's grandfather and Zod as well. Don't forget the, that house as well. Right, but this also by doing so brings up challenges you can do you can, that you can do on, on an alien planet you cannot do on Earth because totally. There's two different species. You know, one people know how, you know, like our species only knows how to walk and climb things, but yet there's these other group of people who can shoot fucking laser beams out of their eyes. Right, exactly. And and here's the one thing that I'm excited about, not just how the, the destruction of Krypton comes to be, but this is literally going to tell us for, I th- as far as I know, at least on television and in movies, for the first time, the shaming of the House of L, how they're basically kind of ostracized and pushed to the side. And this is, you know, you've actually got Cameron Cuff, who's going to play Seg L, who's kind of going to be the one that tries to, you know, restore the family name and bring back honor to the House of L, which we know, you know, as you, as you move on to jor and and Superman's parents, didn't really work out all that well. Because the friggin' planet blew up anyway because they didn't listen to him. So I'm just going to be very interested to see how much we're going to explore that shaming of the House of El and how the, the, the House of Zod was actually viewed as well. So it'll be very interesting to see that dynamic. And, and I mean, David Goyer being attached to the project as the executive producer as well. That doesn't hurt, I don't think. I don't think it does either. And, and one thing I'll say about the show, too, is going to the whole Rise of the Planet of the Apes franchise you know one of the things i love about that franchise is and i think it's exactly how you should tell a prequel show or prequel movie uh in, in terms of something that has to deal with destruction or taking over something show me how this possibly could have been avoided show me how this feud between the house of zod and the house of l uh, could have been avoided. You know, show me those things. Show me those dynamics because those really are the onions that are really the, the life force of the show because that's what you're going to do to draw people in. It's like, you know, if you're going to say, well, you know, it's not like Smallville where, oh, we're, we might see him in the cave. We might see him in the cave. And you see him in the end. Everybody's flipping out and whatever. But here it's like, okay, let's understand how important – Superman's family really was and what happened with Krypton and, and politics there and everything else. Same thing with this family of Zod and the other families there. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, and if anybody says, you know, I don't care about Superman's grandfather, think about that, what you're saying. This is how it started. This is literally how far back it went for this to actually occur. That's, that's right. pretty amazing to think. And to be able to think we could get that story from the beginning all the way up until at least a certain point, we'll never get all the way to, to Kal-El, I'm sure. 
But I mean, to be able to get that backstory and find and fill in some gaps that we've never gotten to fill in before, I think that that's pretty cool. And you want to talk about sci-fi, <laughs> the Expanse, the Magicians. Yeah, you can throw Wine on Earp in there. They're developing quite the track record for really, really good original programming. So I have every confidence after seeing this trailer that Krypton is going to be one of those shows that we're going to love. And real quick, Sci-Fi Man. They've gone so far in terms of the, the products that they've been putting out there. Cause remember, like, back in the day, maybe, like, five or so years ago or, or seven to ten years ago, sci-fi was known for, like, Sharktopus versus... Yeah, Mega Top- Gator and stuff Mega like that. Mega Gator and, and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, they, they look like they use, like, uh, uh, clip art and stuff like that in, in yeah, After Effects yeah. to make their movies. And now they're making, you know, really impressive... Uh, television and really uh, aesthetically beautiful television as well and i'm excited for this man but something i'm also excited for of course is gotham which is coming back on monday and we're talking to selena kyle herself that's right cameron beckendova is coming on to talk about the rest of the season of gotham and what lies in store for selena kyle this is robin lord taylor from gotham and you are listening to the down and nerdy podcast Oh, how excited are we that Gotham is returning once again on Fox this coming Monday, and we just happen to have Selena Kyle herself with us week. It's Cameron Bikendova. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing great. Now, Cameron, let's just jump right in. Anytime the power is up for grabs on Gotham, Selena always seems to find the right situation to be in to try and take advantage of that. But this time, things kind of feel a little bit different, so... Would you say that Selena's more in self-preservation mode than ever right now? For sure. Definitely. Sorry, I, I, I like, I, that was a very uh, short answer. Um, she's <laughs> definitely going through some self-preservation because I think um, subconsciously she was slightly depending on Bruce for approval for certain things because she... Him and her have this connection that they both, neither of them understand. So I'd, I'd say now that that relationship is over with for the time being, she's definitely going to be working on herself. And Cameron, we had David Mazuz on the show a couple of months ago, and he talked about how playing a young Bruce Wayne was such a blessing and how wonderful it is. So I gotta ask you, what's it like playing a young Selena Kyle and also take part in scenes where we do get to see the beginning and the early days of Bruce and Selena's iconic relationship? It is amazing. Sometimes I, I have to pinch myself because it, it's such a cool thing to be able to do, not only get to play dress up and and be someone else for, you know, a certain amount of days out of the week, but also to play such a cool character that likes Selena, you know, I, I get to go to these conventions every now and then, and I get to meet all these young girls who are either dressed up as Selena or not, but either way, they just, they just love Selena and they look up to her so much. And I'm, I'm really glad and grateful and happy to be playing uh, a character that can be seen as a good role model for, for girls and, and teenage girls too. 
Absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about the great history and the cool factor. In the trailer for the final episodes of this season, there's actually a scene where Selena's laying on the pavement surrounded by cats. Now, the first thing I thought of when I saw that was Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, where there's a very similar scene there as well. So how much fun has it been being able mm-hmm. to kind of pay homage to things like that from the past? And how much do incarnations of Selena in the past influence your approach to certain scenes? It's really cool getting to pay homage because sometimes because we are an origin show and because I, I get to play the origin story of Selena, most of the stuff that that I'm playing is stuff that nobody has ever seen before. Obviously, our writers work with DC Comics and, and that sort of thing, but most of the stuff that I get to do are not in the comic books. And so this season... We're going to get to see a little bit more homage being paid uh, <laughs> as far as Selena's future and the foreshadowing of what she's going to become. So I'm excited for everyone to see. And, of course, Cameron, Selena's life since the beginning of the show, even if you go back to the comics, it's anything but an easy life. And, of course, the difficulty was increased for the break with everything that happened between her and her mother and her and Bruce so going into these next few episodes, how will she look to rebound from all those negative things in her lives that life continues to throw at her? She's definitely going to be trying to figure out what she wants to do because after a betrayal such as the one that happened with her and her mom, a person could either go two ways. They could go down a very dark path and they can go down a very light path. It's easier to go down the dark path. So I think Selena is going to be struggling with either taking the easy route or, you know, being someone that that isn't like her mother. So she's going to be figuring it out. And the the first episode that airs on April 24th, we, we get a little glimpse of, of Selena's kind of mentality. I, we don't get to see the specifics of her and where she is in her head, but we definitely, it definitely makes you wonder, what the heck is she doing? <laughs> and she doesn't know either. She doesn't know what she's doing either, so she's definitely figuring it out. Absolutely. We're talking to Cameron Bickendover, who plays Selena Kyle on Gotham, which, of course, you just said returns this Monday, April the 24th. Now, Cameron, you've shown a lot of skills on Gotham, but one thing we haven't really seen yet is your... Quite impressive dance skills, actually. So if Selena had her own dance crew, what would she name it, and what would the first track be that they danced to? Oh, thank you. Um, that's a funny question. I love it. Um, if it were to happen right now, then she would probably just go solo. But I think uh, maybe in the future she would probably call the crew silent. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. See, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey, yeah, you saw that. That was really fun. Um, it'd be her, Ivy, and Barbara, or not Barbara, because we don't even know if Barbara's going to be um, Harley Quinn. I don't know that, but uh, her, Ivy, and Harley Quinn. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that. The first track they danced to. Oh, I don't know. That would be tough. Uh, I think Harley Quinn would be in charge of the music. <laughs> You're more than likely right. 
I'm just picturing this scene at like the end of Gotham where Selena's like on top of a roof and she's doing like a uh, a, a footloose type of dance. <laughs> Oh, yeah, or like a dirty dancing or something. <laughs> nice, nice. Bruce does the lift. <laughs> and, uh, you I know, love, dirty Dancing is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. <laughs> Nobody puts Selena in the corner. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And, and speaking of Gotham, of course, now that Penguin is gone, the question now is who controls Gotham? So what would Gotham look like if Selena at such a young age, was in control of that city and that underground? I'm not sure because I don't think Selena wants to be in charge of any anyone or anything. I don't I don't think at this point, or I don't even think at, as Catwoman, she's ever wanted power in the same way that Penguin or Barbara want power. She, Catwoman herself, she wants power for herself. She wants her own jewel. She wants her own place to live. She wants to be in charge of everything in her life. And the only reason why Selena kind of dozy does around everybody else's life is so that she can know how to survive for herself. So I, I think if Selena were to be put in a position to where she would be in charge of Gotham, I think she would back down from it because she doesn't like being in the spotlight. She likes being very much hidden, very much in control of herself without people really knowing what she has going on. So I don't think she would want to be... I don't think she would want that kind of power. That's definitely an interesting perspective to take on that. I see what you're doing. Now, we talked about, you've, you've mentioned Catwoman a few times, so, I mean, let's talk about it. There's been a lot of talk online and on social media about David making more of a transition from Bruce to becoming Batman this season, but not as much talk about your path and your transition. So, without spoiling anything, would you say we'll see Selena make a single similar transition to becoming Catwoman this season, or do you kind of feel like that's already begun? I don't think it'll be a similar transition as David's you know, character, but I do think that I think it's I think it's going to be a slower transition uh, for Selena. And, but I do know that she will be taking one step that will not necessarily make the audience and allow her to know what what her future holds. But it, it'll be a step that she takes to where it helps her figure out what she may want. So. The step that she is going to take, whenever it happens in the season, um, it's it's a step that she takes as kind of a leap of faith, in a sense, because she doesn't know where she wants to go. She just knows that she's not happy. And the step that she takes will help her figure out how to be happy. And uh, Cameron, before we get you out of here... uh a common theme we've come to learn through various interviews we've done with other cast members of Gotham is that it's just filled with hilarious and just fun people. So who would you say is the most total opposite of who they play on screen and who is most like the character that they play on screen? If you asked me that before Maggie came on board, I would say that he was most like Vince Wayne, but uh, I think Maggie takes the trophy for being most like her character. Because she's an animal lover, she's a vegan, and she's just 
a downright sweetheart. So I'd say Maggie is the most likely character on the show. And then least like their character, probably Robin is probably least like Penguin. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep, definitely Robin. Yeah, just just in the just in the matter of like Robin would not intentionally harm a single soul. So <laughs> that that I'd say that Robin is, is Robin is least like Penguin in that he's not a murderer. Well, that's definitely good. Well, we actually got to sit down with Robin at AwesomeCon in uh, D.C., and yeah, he is such a sweetheart. Yeah, he's he's such a nice man. Yeah, I love him. We're both Geminis. Ooh! Ah, kindred spirits. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we can't wait to see what everybody's got in store when Gotham returns. This Monday, April the 24th, and going to go right through towards the end of the season, the finale in June. We're looking forward to what Selena's got in store. It's Cameron Bikendova. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. You know, James, one of the things I love about interviewing people from various shows and stuff like that is just seeing and talking to people, of course, offset and, you know, without a camera in front of them. And I got to tell you, we've done numerous interviews with the cast from Gotham, and I got to tell you, man, they are, without a doubt, I think one of the most fun and charismatic and funny cast members and people and people I think I've, I've ever interviewed and talked to. I mean, that's so true. You look at how dark the show is right. most of the time, and then you sit down and talk to these people. I'm, I'm surprised the camera didn't say herself for that one question that you had because she, you know, Selena's tough as nails on the show, and then you talk to but, her, and she's just like the, also, sweetest, the sweetest woman ever. But also... Selena steals a lot of things, so I don't think Cameron's like, yeah, I steal stuff too. Yeah, like, I I, I, yeah, I definitely don't think that she steals either. And we know Robin doesn't murder people, so that's right. that's super. <laughs> that's super to know. I'm gonna feel a lot more relaxed next time when we talk to him. Robin is Robin Lord Taylor is one of those guys where if you saw in like the paper on Twitter, like Robin Lord Taylor, Taylor found guilty of murder, or something like what you you know you, you, we would all be that like neighbor like. I don't know what happened. He was such a sweet man. Uh, Hashtag fake news, people. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not true. Can't happen. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, I mean, this whole Gotham season has been really ramped up with a lot of things, especially with the relationship between Bruce and Selena because it's fractured now. So you got to think about this, too. Selena, I think, has got the rawest deal of all the characters this season because – she has a follow with Bruce. Then she thinks her she can rekindle something with her mom, and her mom dupes her, and Bruce knew about it. And that's not forget. I mean, she mentioned Ivy, but really, if you think about it, her relationship with Ivy has been kind of weird ever since Ivy fell into that water and was aged. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Selena, in a sense, has been has been you know had a lot of her tethers in terms of relationships and friendships cut. So really, it's kind of like, well, where does she find herself? That's what's going to be really interesting going forward with this season. Yeah, and I mean, you know, tough as nails on the exterior, but on the interior, what's going on there? And I think that that's something that they're really going to start to dig into when when Gotham comes back Monday, April the 24th. Exactly. Of course, we want to thank Cameron Bickendova for coming on, talking to us about Gotham and how the season looks to progress going forward, starting, of course, Monday at 8 p.m. on Fox. And after you watch Gotham on Fox at 8 p.m., you want to see what we're doing on social media, be sure to hit us up, facebook.com slash downandnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downandnerdy757. I'm on Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter 
at Merck with one arm. Mr. Witham, go. Well, if you didn't steal any of that information, by the way, I'm at James Ace Witham on Twitter. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. But if you would like to steal all that information from us, just like Catwoman on a heist, you can do that on our website at downtonerdypodcast.com. I mean, even, hey, you want to buy this season of Gotham because it's been so awesome on Amazon Instant Video. We'll have a link for you to do that up there as well. And check out all of our comic book reviews all in one place, downtonerdypodcast.com. And as always, pray safe comic book reading by always bagging and boarding your comics.